Welcome to the Primal Pioneer, a no-nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Primal Pioneer. Today I am going to talk all about autism. Um, this is just after the, uh, 2021 Christmas holiday season, the new year's right around the corner. And, um, this is one of my favorite times of year because the light is returning, the UV light. Now I'm a little spoiled here in Arizona because, well, we only have about two months when vitamin D making light, the UVB light is absent. Uh, it'll be returning here sometime in February, and I'm going to have to say I'm looking forward to that. And I live in this area because uh, light has made such a huge impact with regard to my health and my healing and healing my brain injury. And today we're also going to be talking about another type of brain injury, which is autism. Um, And so I wanted to bring this topic to the show because it's come up in my circle, my sphere over the past few months. And um, it's also an area of health that seems to, um, autism rates continue to escalate. And uh, people can point, are pointing fingers at certain things and um you know glyphosate vaccinations i believe all of which uh are huge contributing factors especially vaccinations um but i'm going to get into uh during this episode i'm going to get into hey what are the different degrees of autism how does that reflect how the child or individual will respond to treatment if they actually have the proper treatment in place. What sets somebody up for autism? And um, what are some proactive approaches we can take when it comes to autism? Honestly, there's not a lot of great resources out there for people struggling with with autism, but hopefully this episode will help to clear that up, will help to bring some hope to your life if you struggle with autism or um, if your child does or if you, you know, your niece, nephew or somebody you know and love struggles with this condition. Um, And the focus of this talk today is going to be all around homeopathy. I use, um, excuse me, I um, work with many people, especially children who have had autism, who have autism in my practice. And, um, reason being is it's one of the most effective modalities that I've found to help remove root causes of 
autism. And I'm going to get into that during this episode. So I want to start by just uh, going through here, hey, what sets somebody up for autism? What makes somebody more susceptible than you know one child versus another child? What makes them more susceptible? And I want to preface this entire talk by saying, if you're somebody out there listening and you have a child with autism, this isn't about making it anybody's fault. You know, it's not your fault. There's a lot of things that are that are unknown that are uh, that that just simply isn't taught to us as young people and even as adults with regard to our health. What causes um, all types of of health issues, including autism. And so, as I get into this. Um, I just want you to bring more awareness to this topic because I feel like if parents especially know this before um, conceiving a child, it can really help decrease the instance of their child experiencing autism. Okay, so our rates of autism continue to grow and grow and grow. Uh, even as treatment, so to speak, improves. But um, these individuals aren't getting better. Our rates of autism aren't going down. So, so what's going on here? And what's going on here is that adults um, have weaker and weaker constitutions as each decade passes. So, for example, let's just take my mother, for example, had a much stronger constitution than I had when I was born, simply because she was exposed to less mm, disease pathological causing factors than I was. So she had less vaccinations, she had um, a more wholesome diet, less processed foods, and she didn't have any exposure to um, radiation, or if so, it was super low from cell phones, from Wi-Fi, etc. Until you know what, she was fifty-five years old, and and that has not been the same for me. For me, it was more like okay, when I was twenty years old, and for kids today, it's like oh, when they're born, and even when they're in the womb, we see mothers resting their iPads on their bellies with the child in there. So we have to take all these things into consideration that our lifestyle choices are going to impact the next generation. Now, even if we've been exposed to these factors, poor diet, um, a host of vaccinations, multiple rounds of antibiotics or corticosteroids, There are ways you can heal yourself and detox these things from your body uh, to lay a solid foundation. So if you choose to have a baby, you can do so in the healthiest way possible. And if you don't choose to have a baby, you can live the healthiest life you possibly can. So I want to preface all of this by saying, you know, nobody's a victim. There's always things we can do. And, um... There's also a lot you can do to prevent autism in your children, but also um, if your child has happens to have autism, there's a lot you can do to support them as well. So for somebody, for a child to get 
um, be diagnosed autistic, they have to have a predisposition for the disease. Now, this is similar to any disease. You have to have a predisposition to cancer or heart disease or obesity, right? These genes, so to speak, have to be in place in order for the disease to manifest. Now, not everybody has genes that are, um, you know, that point to cancer or that point to obesity or that point to... Uh, will lead somebody in the direction of autism, right? So in order for a child to experience, uh, have this diagnosis of being autistic, they have to have a predisposition to the disease. Now, there are certain elements, things that um, set somebody up, set the stage for the child to have a predisposition to autism, and these are typically um, mental, emotional disorders in the mother or father, particularly the mother, but also the father. We cannot, we cannot just say it's 100% the mother or 100% the father. Both genes contribute. So if there's, say, for example, severe depression, a suicide tendencies, schizophrenia in the gene pool, these things will set the stage um, to increase the likelihood of a child um, experiencing autism or being diagnosed autistic. Okay, now this doesn't mean that, let's say, your great aunt, you know, struggled with schizophrenia. This doesn't mean your child is going to be autistic. There's several things you can do to um, heal your body, heal your mitochondria, um, uh, remove genetic imprints that uh, may set the stage for things like autism with with your own child. Um, Also, uh, a, a history of drug or alcohol use, um, and especially if that goes back, you know, for, for years in your gene pool, this can also increase the likelihood of your child experiencing autism, okay? If you're like, yes, my family was enti- all alcoholics or all drug addicts or had really struggled with their mental emotional health, then a question you want to ask yourself is, okay, how's your mental emotional health, right, as an adult? And if there's some red flags there, if there's addiction tendencies, these are really, really important things to heal before having a child to decrease the likelihood of your child experiencing uh, uh, being diagnosed with autism. So there's different scales of autism or it's just recently been changed to the spectrum, right? So kind of the old classification was there was um, Asperger's, then one was autistic, and um, meaning um, they developed autism after birth, and then um, there were the children who were born autistic. Now today we have a different classification. We've brought in the spectrum, the levels one through three. And one being the least severe, three being, or excuse me, one being the least severe, I might have messed the words up there, and three being the most severe. 
okay? Um, so based on, I'm gonna go with the old classifications here because I'm a little bit old school. Um, the easiest cases to treat when it comes to autism, when the child or individual is given the proper treatment, is going to be those with um, Asperger's and then those who develop autism after birth. If the child was born autistic, this is a whole another ball of wax, um, the pathology will likely remain to some degree even when the proper treatment is put in place. So the disease is more severe if the child is born with autism and it's, it's less severe. And I should say um, the healing outcome is more favorable when the child is administered the right treatment if they uh, the child's born, born healthy, right? And then you know, maybe a year, two years in, three years in, diagnosed autistic. Okay, so typically what happens, and today during this episode, I'm going to focus on those who are born healthy and then develop autism, you know, soon after to, you know, a few years after birth. And so um, typically these individuals, they still have to have a predisposition to the disease, okay? And what happens is what really, really turns these autism genes on, lights them on fire, moves the child towards in the direction of actually um, being autistic, right? Moving into this mental emotional disorder is when the child starts to develop acute conditions, right? Ear infections, maybe strep throat. Uh, develops fever, and then they're administered antibiotics, and probably around a similar time, they're administered vaccinations. These things are what trigger the child into an autistic state to the point where the child stops getting acute conditions and then has this almost full-blown mental-emotional pathology state. So um, it depends on the child's constitution, how strong the constitution is, if he, they're going to develop autism after one round of vaccinations, after one round of antibiotics, or after six rounds. So um, we can't exactly say because this is very, very dependent on the child's constitution, okay? And that constitution is made up of the mother and father's DNA, the mother's mitochondrial DNA, as well as all of their ancestors and the issues the ancestors dealt with as well. Was it schizophrenia? Was it depression? Was it alcoholism, etc. okay? So if one has a predisposition to autism, um, after they're born, they experience suppressive treatment for their acute conditions and or are vaccinated. This, these are two of the most common things that trigger the autism genes to the on position. Okay, so um, that is 
first and foremost. So I want to give, I know I gave a little bit of an of a, a example there, but I want to give another example here because maybe you are someone out there whose child is autistic or you know someone's child who is autistic. Um, this is one example. There can be many examples of how this train starts in motion. But here's an example, okay? Let's say the child reaches six months, they get an ear infection, the doctor administers antibiotics, right? And then, dang, the ear infection isn't going away, here it comes, the antibiotics aren't working, the doctor administers stronger antibiotics, right? And then, you know, several months pass and the child develops asthma. And then inhalers are given, corticosteroids, antibiotics, and soon after, or immediately after, again, it depends on the child's constitution, this autistic state begins to set in. Now, this can also happen with any type of skin issue. Um, say really bad eczema that oozes or that has pus or acne that oozes or has pus and it's everywhere and it's intense and maybe it itches. When these things are suppressed, that attempt of the immune system to remove that pathology from the body, from the oozing, from the skin, from the eczema is suppressed. It suppresses the immune system and the pathology goes deeper into the body. This is not only the case with autism, but with every single chronic disease. This is, this is how it starts to set in. With autism, um, again, right, I just really wanna hit this point home is that the child has to have a predisposition and really early in life, especially today, kids are hit hard with antibiotics and vaccines. And so a child with a predisposition to autism is going to have an, uh, an onset very early in their life with this sequence of illness, suppressed medical treatment, and very, very rigorous vaccination schedule. So um, typically what I see in my practice is that when a child... Um, comes in with their parent, of course, with autism, um, is that there's some aspect of the physical uh, illness still present in most cases. You know, some of the asthma is still there, maybe some bloody noses are still there, maybe a persistent cough is still there. There's usually some nagging physical conditions still present. Maybe it's constipation, the eczema, et cetera. It really depends on each person. It's, it's never the same for two people. And so what happens is, is usually the, the people turn to homeopathy as a last resort. Usually, you know, they've tried everything um, to no avail. The child's still suffering. Their mental, emotional state is still... Um, you know, not where their peers' uh, mental health is at. They still struggle on a physical level. They feel like an outsider. And so even after going through all the tests, the treatments, and doing that whole thing to death, the child is still struggling. 
And then somebody mentions, hey, have you tried homeopathy? And that's usually when people come knocking on my door, which I'm glad that they do. Hopefully this podcast and and particularly this episode will help people seek out homeopathy sooner and sooner and sooner um, as, you know, to help support their health, especially with, with autism. But where I was going with this is that these children show up and they have some physical symptoms, right? Um, and that varies, you know, anywhere from the child gets mad and like um, pees the bed or won't go to the bathroom um, on purpose to like punish the parents. These are all like scenarios I've experienced um, or they have eczema or they have asthma, etc. And so after the parents have tried everything with their child, um, most parents just, you know, often let go of, okay, you know, they accept where the child's at, which is so loving and gracious. And, and then what happens, though, is that the focus becomes on the physical layer, right? Because they've been so disappointed with the mental, emotional layer. Nobody's been able to help them. They're still struggling. And so... Let's focus on the physical. Maybe this is, you know, there's more hope here. So most people show up and they have these physical symptoms that they want help with. I want to state this, especially if anyone out there is an alternative healer or a homeopath. One of the biggest mistakes that can be made when approaching an autism case and really wanting to help them, and again, I'm referring particularly to... Uh, kids who are born healthy and then develop uh, autism, okay? The, this, is, this is the population I'm, I'm particularly referring to here. The biggest mistake I see, though, is that over time, after parents and the child has tried everything, then we just start focusing on the physical, And if we want to improve an autism case, even if the physical symptoms are present, we have to primarily focus on the mental emotional state first. So um, now that's not to ignore if, if the asthma is so bad that, you know, they have to go to the hospital. Of course, we have to put the fires out first, right? But typically and generally speaking, we have to approach autism no matter what, how old the child is, when they come to see you for treatment, we have to start with the mental emotional layer. Now, this is why. When the child started out life in a healthy state and then got sick and then got antibiotics and then got vaxxed and then went through that whole cycle, right? they experienced the physical pathology first. Later on, they experienced the mental emotional pathology. So when we're approaching um, somebody's, when we're trying to help somebody truly, truly heal, improve their health, we have to start by approaching the uppermost layer. 
So down below in that child with autism, there's all the ear infections and the antibiotics and the vaccines that went along with it. But on the uppermost layer, there's all of the mental emotional symptoms. And we have to start there if we want to set that child up for the biggest potential to succeed with with healing their mental emotional state. And so when this happens, what, what actually occurs is when this is approached in the correct way, what will happen is the mental emotional state of the child will gradually get better over the over several months and year. And then the physical will actually start to intensify a little bit. So the eczema will get a little bit worse, but the mental emotional state will, will get better. Or the constipation will get a little bit worse, but you see that the child's being more social. He's interacting with, with people at school. Um, he's not having temper tantrums, right? This is exactly what the, the, the um, progression of um, quote-unquote cure that we want to see in any case, but especially in autism case. If the mental emotional is not getting better, but the physical is getting better, then we're not helping that person truly get better. In order for somebody, and this is because the physical pathology is not as deep as mental emotional pathology. Mental emotional pathology is much deeper in the body. It's like diving into like deep sea diving. Whereas physical ailments like constipation and skin eruptions and eczema are like, um, you know, standing in the shallow end. You can get out a lot faster. The treatment, when administered the correct treatment, is going to be a lot quicker. So we always need to start by approaching the mental emotional state first when it comes to approaching autism. Okay. Um, now, as I mentioned, children who started to have the mental emotional issues after a vaccination, after antibiotics, they're much easier to treat than if they were born with autism. Okay. So I want to go over, um, let's see how many, two, two of my keys here. Um, with regard to how I can tell if somebody is getting better, if, if who has autism comes into my practice, here are the two keys to success that I use in my practice to gauge, hey, is this person actually getting better? Is this child actually getting better? Number one is that we have to know exactly when the onset occurred. Because here's doctors today, you know, even alternative practitioners, you go into their office, your child has autism, here they are, and you just say, hey, my child's autistic. And I'll say, okay, here's the protocol. You know, conventional medicine will give you a protocol that's toxic, and alternative medicine will give you a protocol that is non-toxic, but both protocols are standard and they're not individualized to what the child's symptoms actually are. Because every child with autism is going to express different symptoms. 
and different degree of symptoms, okay? And so in order to actually help the child get better, we have to know exactly when the onset occurred. Were they, was the child born autistic? Or was the child actually fine until its first round of vaccinations? Or was the child fine until year one after antibiotics and vaccinations, right? What happened right before they, their mental emotional state changed? Forget when a doctor diagnosed them. You as a parent know exactly when your mental emotional state changed in your child. And so that's what we need to pinpoint, okay? When did you first observe this change in your child, okay? Now, this is gonna tell us if there's a shot at recovery. So for example, if the child wasn't born autistic but developed it after a certain protocol or treatment or stressful event, divorce, um, you know, death of a loved one, etc. Um, knowing this information, it's going to tell us if there's a, a shot at, at recovery. And it's going to also tell us how much, what's the potential that the child can actually heal and improve, and how long is this going to take? Now, usually the longer the child has been in this mental, emotional, pathology state, the longer it's going to take to heal. You can't expect to do one round of homeopathy and be like, my kid is completely cured, unless that child's in a very high level of health, has a strong constitution, and hasn't been struggling with autism symptoms for very long. Okay, typically this is gonna take, you know, at least a few years of ongoing care and treatment to really help to restore the organism to a healthy state. Okay, so number one, that is what I look at. When exactly did the autism-like symptoms start? Not according to the doctor, but according to you as the parent, when did you observe this? Okay, and number two, and I mentioned this one um, previously, is that we need to approach the mental symptoms first and then the physical symptoms. Because as we approach the mental symptoms, the mental emotional state, if, if we're administering the right remedy as a, a homeopath, the mental emotional state's gonna improve. And then the physical level, more physical symptoms are gonna come up because the body needs an outlet. You can't just have um, 20 years of panic attacks Take, a, take something, uh, an alternative remedy or medicine for a panic attack and think that that's going to go away. You see, our view of healing is skewed in our world today. We think that if we take something that our symptoms should be totally gone and we should be totally cured. And that, especially today, is not true because we've undergone so many suppressive therapies throughout our life. And because we're exposed to so much more um, EMF frequencies now and fake light now than we have, you know, for centuries, really, decades. So we have to understand that healing, if we're really healing, 
What happens is we'll see improvements in the mental emotional state. The physical will get a little bit uh, more noticeable. And then once the mental emotional state is improving, then it's time to approach the physical symptoms, okay? So this is key for any child um, who's been diagnosed autistic or who who you as a parent have said, hey, my child, the doctors haven't diagnosed him as autistic, but I know something's up. I know their tests say that he or she is fine, but I say they're not fine. And you know better than anyone else how your child is really, really doing and when they started to have issues. So when we're approaching autism, we have to first start with a mental emotional. And this is really important for everyone to understand, whether you're listening to this and you, you know someone who has struggles with autism or their child, etc., or you yourself struggle with another disorder. What you're struggling with, let's say arthritis, headaches, weight gain, depression, you can't lose weight, you're always depressed, in order for these things to heal, there's there's always something underneath that layer. Before you were depressed, you were really OCD. Before you were really OCD, you um, you were really really disorganized and messy and um, had a lot of acne. You know, this sounds like ridiculous to most people. If you go into a doctor you know, they're not going to be able to connect the dots here. But what we need to understand is every time we suppress something with an antibiotic, a corticosteroid, a vaccination, um, or if we have a mental emotional state that we suppress, like a grief, um, um, some argument with a family member, if these things aren't processed, if they're suppressed, is going to create pathology in the body. So most people have layers and layers of layers sitting upon layers. As we start to heal, the uppermost layer should remove, start to heal, and the undermost layer is going to become more obvious. And this is the sign that there's actually healing going on. It's not that you give your child one dose of Hasiamos for you know their their current autistic symptoms, and then we expect them to be fully cured on all levels. No, that 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 remedy, if it's the indicated remedy, will then bring up other symptoms, which is a very positive sign. And if this is sounding confusing for some of you, I did some earlier episodes on homeopathy. Um, on the immune system and so I would encourage you to go back there's a whole series on homeopathy and you can listen to that series and tune in to understand and connect the dots more like what the hell is she talking about here and and I want to know more about this and hmm, that's that's kind of interesting and fascinating or I never heard anyone talk about it like that or talk about healing like that I would encourage you to to take a listen to to those episodes those previous episodes if this is kind of stirring the pot for you. So um, to make a long story short, (laughs) 
Um, when someone with autism comes into my practice, I always, always start with their mental, emotional state, even if they have physical symptoms. Because if you just treat the physical symptoms, the mental, emotional state will stay the same or will unfortunately often get a little bit more aggravated. Okay, so um, what I found to approach the mental emotional state effectively is classical homeopathy. And what do I mean by that? It's like one single remedy and allowing that remedy to work over a period of time, whether that can be uh, depending on each individual, it's going to vary from a week to a year of how long that remedy is going to act. It depends on their constitution. It depends on each individual. And so we need to let that remedy act fully so that the organism can heal on the deepest, most level. Okay? And I want to give you some examples here of mental emotional pathology because maybe you're someone out there and you're like, okay, what does that actually mean? You know, uh, some symptoms are super obvious, like panic anxiety disorders, right? But what are some examples of mental emotional pathology? Okay, um, these are just a few. This list can literally be a mile long, but I'm going to give you just a few examples here in case you're curious about this. So one is the inability to express certain emotions, or overexpressing certain emotions. So there's a little bit of an imbalance in the emotional expression. So for example, maybe a child gets really angry, has anger outbursts, throws tantrums, but they are they rarely cry or they have issues crying. Or it could be the opposite. They cry all the time and they're really clingy and they never get angry, right? It, either either side of of the the coin there it, it can go either way and that's just one example also um one really clear indication for me as a homeopathic practitioner um regarding somebody's mental emotional state is what are their fears if an autistic child comes in and they have very strong fears Fear of the dark, fear of dogs, fear of being alone, fear of thunderstorms, fear of being in closed spaces, fear of people, etc. The fears can be, you know, they're, they're, they're endless, right? But the point is, if the child comes in with very strong fears, this is a key mental emotional imbalance state that I, that I often look for because this really needs to be addressed to help improve the mental emotional health and really the mental emotional health really means the health of the brain the state of the brain okay so other examples are extreme restlessness or ocd there can be extreme timidity um, or shyness and here's one that i want to mention because today so many people are obsessed with and you know been there done that but we're obsessed with uh fad diets or trendy diets keto um uh, 
strict diets that people have like coined as a certain diet, Whole30, you know the list of them, especially if you're listening to this podcast, right? What happens is when we go with a certain diet, most people who are really sick, especially today, most people, they can change their diet, but they still, after changing their diet, they're still struggling with their health or with their symptoms. And this is because we haven't touched the mental emotional state that typically goes with almost every single physical condition today. So weight struggles are connected with certain mental emotional states, um, cancer, uh, obesity, uh, underweight, being underweight, anorexia, bulimia, all of these things are connected to the mental emotional state. So we can change the diet, we can change all the things on the outside, but if we don't change the mental emotional state, then what, you know, this is common today is most people, they change their diet, they get, they get some improvements. Hey, maybe they lose a ton of weight or um, maybe they start to get more lean muscle mass or, um, you know, maybe they start to have a little bit more energy, right? So, so some of the physical things improve, but still mentally, emotionally, they're not seeing a whole lot of improvements. This is very common. People can only get so far with diet. Now, I'm going to bring this back to autism because typically everyone has particular cravings. You know, ice cream, chocolate, sweets, you name it. You have, just think about what you crave yourself. Like what are your favorite foods, okay? So when we go on the fad diet thing or jump on whatever diet train, um, and most people can... Um, when they hop on that diet train and really stick with it, they can get so rigid. And I'm speaking from it, from like expert experience here with being dogmatic about diet, you know, especially in my twenties. Whoa. Number one dietary dogma follower right here. You're, you're looking at her. Okay. And what happens is that when we stick to dogmatic diets we actually ignore what the body is craving and wanting okay and this is really really important and I'm going to tie this again back into autism because the brain is actually going to create certain aversions to food and certain desires or cravings for certain foods um in order to try to keep some kind of balance in the organism. Like, for example, um, I have some people, um, well, I'll take one case of autism that uh, I worked with. Kid didn't like sweets. What kid doesn't like sweets? It's very rare for a kid not to eat sweets. You can get this kid wouldn't eat sweets, right? So, um, now again, it's not like, oh, you know, you should, you should eat sweets. You don't want to tell somebody to eat something that their body isn't wanting because their body's not wanting it for a certain reason. To that organism, to that child's organism, sweets was like a poison to him for some reason. Maybe the autism was so, 
um, um, creating such a brain chemistry hormonal imbalance that if that child ate sweets, it would have made his symptoms, you know, go through the roof. And so that organism knew, hey, I'm not going to eat sweets. Uh, and, and, and kids know, like you, you, more so than adults, like adults are like, yeah, you know, I should drink more water. I'm not really thirsty, but I should drink more water. And so we just start drinking water unconsciously and carrying a water bottle everywhere, whether we're thirsty or not. Kids, they don't have that programming like we do typically, right? So if they don't want sweets, they're not, you put something in front of them, they're not going to eat it. If they want a cucumber, they're going to eat it. If they want ice cream, they're going to eat it. If, you know, if they want fish, they're going to eat it. If they don't, you can't make them eat it, right? So we have to pay attention to particular food cravings and aversions. And uh, with I, this is important across the board for anybody I work with, but when it comes to autism, the brain is actually craving certain foods and it has an aversion to certain foods. And this is very, very uh, particular to what the organism needs in order to not go down another ring, so to speak. So... Um, I have a funny story about that is because I live in, in Sedona, Arizona, and it can be considered like really spiritual and woo-woo. And um, while I love red rocks and hiking and all of that, um, I'm not like a huge um, woo-woo type of person. It's just, it's just not my, my thing. Um, so this, this one, this one, um, girl in our, in our circle here, um, literally witnessed this, started yelling at somebody else in the circle cause, um, uh, in the friend circle saying that this girl was like, I don't, I don't drink that much water. I'm just not thirsty. And this other girl like just reamed her was like, what do you mean you're not thirsty? You know better than that. You should be drinking water. You know how healthy it is to drink water. And I was sitting back watching this. It was super interesting. I was like, yeah, see, this is the programming we get. You should drink more water. And this is a classic case because literally, if your body wants water, it will tell you and then you should drink. If your body doesn't want water, you should not make yourself drink water. These are the little, little signs that we need to pay attention to that will lead us to what's going on in the body. What if the person is, is susceptible to edema and has plenty of water and um, doesn't need more water or else they'll start to blow up like a balloon? You know, what if that's the case? There's, there's so many different examples. What if the hormones are, are fully hydrated and don't need more water? You're not going to crave water, right? Uh, but what if, this is an interesting one, if there's some sort of bleeding in the body, whether it's like this slow bleeding, like maybe you're, you have, like this is a, some people have this, maybe your gums bleed, like when you brush your teeth, or... Uh, maybe you have issues with a bleeding ulcer or something. 
is people who have bleeding issues can oftentimes crave cold ice water. What does Chinese medicine and a lot of the other like alternative medicines tell their tell their uh, clients? Avoid cold water. It shuts down the digestion. Whoa, how do you know that? That's so false. That person's craving that for a reason. I know we got off topic with autism a little bit with that one, but I really wanted to just make this point that your body's craving things for a reason, and that doesn't mean to like go out and eat Pizza Hut and Domino's and Papa John's and donuts and you know whatever, but it's bring your awareness here and notice what you're craving and let your body speak. Like come into this relationship with your body again because your body's actually leading you to um to a very informed place when you know what you're craving and um you're when you're when you allow your body to detect that versus oh I'm just eating this fad diet because my naturopath said it was the healthy thing to do right and then we just lose all contact with our body so Moral of the, the uh, episode here today, homeopathy has the ability to bring back, to restore the brain. And that is, in my perspective and approach, the most important thing we can do for anybody struggling with autism. When we administer the right remedy in the proper dosage, when we allow it to act, this could be weeks to months to years, then we give the organism the time and the ability to really heal on the mental emotional level, on the brain level. What I'm going to end with today is that all chronic diseases, whether it's a state of chronic autism, cancer, or heart disease, or MS, or arthritis, or diabetes, or malignant hypertension, whatever it may be. All chronic diseases are linked to inflammation. We've heard that, everybody's heard that, right? But this inflammation is always caused by an initial acute, okay? So a physical, a mental, an emotional acute. So um, let's say an ear infection, or strep throat, or bronchitis, pneumonia, those are examples of a physical acute. You can even put in constipation or IBS, right? Those are some examples of like physical acutes. C. diff, that's another common one I work with, right? Those are physical acutes. Or a mental emotional acute, a grief. Somebody so near and dear to you, your heart dies or a pet that you love so much dies. You can't cry. You know, it's just that you don't want to cry. You don't want people to see you cry. So um, the mental emotional sphere gets suppressed, okay? Now, this suppression on the physical and or mental emotional sphere, this acute inflammation penetrates deeper, and this is what causes our chronic state of inflammation and these chronic states of inflammation occur deeper in the body. With autism, okay, 
especially autism that starts with an acute, an ear infection, a strep throat, eczema, and then it's suppressed, and then the acute comes back, or a new acute, and then it's suppressed, this repeated cycle. If the organism is susceptible to autism, this is how autism can set in. But there's a lot of hope for anybody with with autism, especially if it developed after birth. And in my practice, one of the most beneficial things that I use, supportive practices I use is classical homeopathy. If you're interested in approaching your health struggles from a root place this 2022, then I invite you to join me for a classical homeopathy consultation. I'm currently accepting new clients, and to sign up, you can go to my site, heathershepherd.com, that's H-E-A-T-H-A-R-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com, backslash healing. Scroll to the bottom of the page, and you can sign up for an initial consultation. Let's get you feeling better this 2022 from a root place. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. To learn more about my approach to health, to see all of my creations in the kitchen and all of my Sunlight Rx tips, you can follow me on the gram at sunlight underscore Rx and subscribe to this podcast to access weekly episodes.